Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast bringing about discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight I'm not only joined by my co-hosts Matt and Steve, but we're also joined once again by the Lord of the Underdeep, Nolan. What what kind of gaming have you guys been up to this month? Or or in the last while? I so what I wanted to talk about, this is a a game that was a Kickstarter that actually the Kickstarter was funded back in I want to say like March. Uh, I remember that because it was like the one shining thing and one thing I got to look forward to when all of like the coronavirus uh, lockdowns and everything was happening. It's a game from Simon called Marvel United. Anyways, it's uh, a cooperative game where collectively everybody is working together to defeat a villain. And uh, in the core box, which is all that's been released so far, you can play as Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man, and the Wasp, I think are all the ones that are in there. And then the villains you can go against are Taskmaster, Red Skull, and Ultron. Anyway, so you pick one of these villains, and the board is kind of neat. It's actually a bunch of like smaller little boards that are put together, and they make this giant circle on the table. Uh, so you pick a villain. Each villain has their own like henchmen. It has their own um, like uh, specific tasks that need to happen. They have their own rules for how they interact and how they deal damage back to the heroes and their own like master plan. Um, and then the heroes each have their own deck. So when you pick a hero, if you pick the Incredible Hulk, for example, you get the Hulk miniature and then the deck. And collectively, everybody is placing cards in a giant circle around the outside of the game board. And it's re- it's super simple as far as the rules. Essentially, like there are a few different actions you can do. You can move, you can fight, or you can take a heroic action, which could be like saving innocent civilians or... Uh, trying to foil one of the villain's plots. And so the cards that you play are just going to have one or two symbols on the bottom of the card that are either a fist, which is fight, a star, which is the action, heroic action, or a uh, arrow, which is move. And not only do you get to take those actions, but you also get to take actions of the card that is previous in line in this big circle. So collectively, you're, you have to plan together to make sure that people have the right actions available to them when they need to, like move to the right spot to try to hit the villain, to try to, you know, knock out a thug or to, you know, save civilians or whatever. And ultimately, you need to finish a bunch of these tasks. Once you finish enough of them, then you can actually start hitting the villain. And then you have to, you know, hit the villain for all the damage that they need to defeat him. So far... The only thing that's been released is the core box. I backed it at the all-in level, which may have been the, like, I think it's probably the second most expensive Kickstarter I've ever backed. But by the time it's all said and done, there's going to be another, like, six or eight boxes, each with a ton of Jeez. Marvel heroes and specific, like, you know, themes. There's one box that has Thanos and his, uh, like, the children of Thanos. And the whole point of it is to, like, you play over multiple games trying to keep him from collecting all the infinity stones. And if he gets them all, he's like incredibly hard to defeat. And it's, I I like cooperative games. This one's light enough that it's something I can enjoy with my family. And I love, I love uh, the Marvel, like everything Marvel, the cinematic universe, 
I like the old cartoons. I like the comics. So I this was a no brainer and one that I'm, I'm super excited about. You're, I couldn't tell that you loved it, man. You, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I would say at probably every, within every two years, I will rewatch the entirety of the MCU, which at this point is like 23, 22, 23 <laughs> movies, something like that. But, uh, they're good movies, man. And I like, I like just the whole, the whole Marvel world. And the fact that, um, each, the heroes mainly have decks that are really similar to each other. There's only a couple cards in each of the hero decks that are that different, but the villains have dramatically different. Uh, each one has a dramatically different feel and how they interact with the board, the things that they're going to be doing to like hinder and damage the heroes. And, each one has their their own very unique feel. So in our, you know, the games that we've played so far, each time we play a different villain, it's like, well, this is this changes the game pretty dramatically in what we have to do to to make it through. And again, by the time things are all said and done, the rest of the stuff is supposed to deliver, I think in March, all like the the other expansion boxes and the promos and everything. And by then they're going to have a whole nother Kickstarter that is all X-Men related, which I'm, they only just announced that's going to cost me a pretty penny, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty neat. And like I said, the, I, I like the fact that it's light enough that it's something that my kids can get into as well. And the miniatures are awesome. They have like a, the chibi kind of style where like the head and the body and stuff are exaggerated a little bit, but a lot of them, like it's not just a great looking model, but they all are based, have some neat basing to them. So like Ant-Man, for example, is standing on a quarter ah. in the actual like model for it, which looks really cool. The Wasp is standing on top of a, a six-sided die. And so they're, I like the models. I think they're going to be easy to paint once I decide to start painting them. But yeah, it's good stuff, especially if you like Marvel. Nice. What about you, Nolan? What have you been up to? Between just mostly hanging out with my friends every now and then. Uh, basically, I'm back in to Total War, Warhammer 2. Been trying different campaigns with that. So, Yeah, love me some Total War. Yeah, I... it. Uh, what is the mod that I am mostly playing now, because I really don't play vanilla much anymore, is Steel Faith Overhaul, uh, basically Grimhammer. It changes the game so much. Like it makes it a bit harder. Magic is a lot stronger. So new mechanics and everything. Like it's a lot of fun. Sometimes I'll just pop it on for a couple hours and you know just click around. Yeah, nice. What about you, Steve? What have you been up to? Um, you know when I have time, I've been dabbling in some Final Fantasy VII. About halfway through the remake version, uh, part one. Yeah, dude, you need to get on that, man. Hey man, I got half hour blocks of time. It takes time. <laughs> Eddie goes I, a train. <laughs> I still, I still need to talk to you about the ending, man. We gotta talk. Hurry up, maybe in four months. <laughs> um, other than that, if I even have less time, I kind of maybe bounce into Modern Warfare, maybe some Warzone, uh, play a few rounds real, real quick. Uh, but Lance, you got me into just an old classic game that's trying to make a comeback. It's oh, an alpha. Yeah, Unity Space Conquest. Yes, I've been doing that a little bit more than my other stuff right now, so uh, it's got me occupied. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, so that's the 
the old mankind game, uh, in mm-hmm. my opinion, the the only it's the only real MMO RTS that ever made a successful go at it. Um, and unfortunately, they just didn't generate the money they needed to keep it around. Um, it's gone through several iterations, but it's being reprogrammed as like an indie project uh, by one of the old developers. Uh, so if you're looking to check that out, it's uh, Quantex Entertainment, I think, is the name of the company. Yep. Um, and mm-hmm. they, uh, uh, yeah, so it's in alpha right now. But so I love RTS. I love MMO. I love all of that piece. And then it's it's a road, nostalgia road. So I've been playing that too. Though I've, and the thing I like about that game is, you know, you can kind of have it going on the background while you're doing other things, right? Yep. And exactly. Yeah. Cause it's, it's building and you just, every now and then you move some ships, you send them on a mission or whatever. So yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. Okay. Well, let's move on <laughs> to, so we've been up to a lot, uh, a lot of gaming. So uh, announcement and news. So uh, this is the part of the show where we keep you up to date on Woofrup and related news. And there's been a lot that has gone on since our last news segment. And so we're going to be hitting a lot of high points, um, very 30,000 foot level here, if you will, just to uh, give you an idea of some stuff. So we don't want to spend all of our episode talking about the various news items, but we'll hit the big stuff. So you want to take us in, Matt, with some Cubicle 7 related news? Yes, I do. So it, uh, Lance, as you said, it has been a while since we've been able to record together because of various reasons. Uh, I don't know. We all want to take a second just to, to say that we appreciate all of our listeners, uh, all of our supporters, all of our patrons for hanging in there. Um, it's been so long actually that in the time since we recorded last, the death on the right companion has finally released. And as they say, better late than never. It, uh, it is a quality book. We, uh, I know all of us have had plenty of time to look through it and kind of dig into some of the stuff. We have a review of that that is slated to come out in the not too distant future. So obviously keep an eye out for that and we'll let you know when that's on its way. Yeah. Um, in addition, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I just wanted to say we we intended to have that be like our next episode, um, but we really wanted to give it a chance to get some, like uh, the first version needed a little bit of work. And so we wanted to see kind of what the final version was. Um, and uh, I'm glad we waited for that. So, you know, we are, it is, it is a very high priority in our docket. It should be out soon. Yep. Yep. Exactly. All right, so in addition to the Death on the Right Companion, we've also had extra PDFs, including Hell Rides to Halt, which is another old world adventure. This one kind of has a Halloween-y kind of creepy feel to it. That is, uh, I think it's like 25, 26 pages, something like that. Plenty of good content in there. Uh, as yeah, well as I, I just con- want to mention the, the cover is a J.G. O'Donohue piece, and man, he never disappoints um, such such character like uh on his his pieces and i i can tell you th- it is not a if we are going to run this for like our patreon exclusive it's a when i'm i'm oh, excited sure. so either matt or i are going to are going to run this 100 percent. so <laughs> we'll oh, see yeah, looking forward to it yeah so and then lastly from cubicle seven we've still got more or as far as like uh Warhammer stuff coming out. We still have uh, working through the Uberstrike Adventures 2. We've got the cover art for that, as well as the Fishrook Returns PDF. 
uh, which is one of those shorter uh, adventures that's been released. Yeah, cover on that one is really good. It's like a a table, and I think there's a hand of a gutter runner on there. And um, and I want to say that one's a Sam Manley piece. But anyway, great. Uh, Man, I get so excited with artwork. Um, Cubicle Sevens, whatever they're doing and directing and getting art to us is working. I don't, I can't. There are some games that I can think of like, ah, that artwork was a little rough. I haven't seen that for fourth edition yet. Yeah, that's the one thing that we've basically never stopped, you know, shutting up about is how good the artwork looks. So, right. It's like it gets you in the feel, you know, of the whole old world. Right. Yeah. Never fails. So right. in virtual tabletop announcements, 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 <laughs> new section. Uh, if you haven't joined the modern world, these are out. It's a virtual <laughs> tabletop. These help you in so many ways. I mean, I, I can't say anything because we just kind of started to use them uh, with our group because of COVID. You know, we kind of had to make changes and they're wonderful to use. For Roll20, they have the fourth edition kind of uploaded within it now. You can get that for twenty nine ninety nine, and also Foundry as well. If you've checked the Cubicle Seven site, uh, they list Foundry there as well. They have a bundle deal which comes with the core Rough Nights and Hard Days and the starter set all uploaded. All that information there for, for forty bucks. Yeah, uh, that, so you, yeah. Uh, that bundle I want to mention is apparently a short term thing. So. Um, depending on when you listen to this episode, you might want to go check that out. Foundry, uh, we've used Foundry, um, we've used Roll20, but we haven't done it with these official modules, if you will. Uh, we fully intend to, and we tend to play them. And so it'll t- give us some time to get an actual chance to get a feel and play through both systems. But we'll we'll come back and give you our thoughts on them. But I can Absolutely. tell you, they have handouts, token packs, even... Uh, the foundry talks about like building and support for pub games and uh, pre-generated characters and, and stuff like that. So anyway, it's just, uh, I just, I'm very excited and cubicle seven has been talking about this for a long time and it is, what's the word I'm looking for? It's community support and it is something that is necessary. And nowadays um, you can't just release a book if you release a book and you support it like this for online play, it's going to do nothing but good things for, for the hobby. So, yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it saves you so much time. I mean, there's some weapons that have so many rules and just you roll your dice. It does all all, all the calculations for you. You save hours. Right. It's It's, a, the razor dactyl effect, right, Steve? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Razor dactyl is like six rules to get it going. Right. You you have to have this rule, but that rule references this other rule. And oh, you're all over the rule book. Right. You know? Right. So like it's it's how I feel about anytime I have to go look up rules for small. Right. I have to reference like six different pages by the time I'm done. So it's it's uh, but all of that's programmed in, so you don't have to worry about the the niceties there. It's all at your fingertips and we haven't tried it yet but that's the way it's been described so i'm super excited yeah rest assured we intend to to give both of these a fair shake and then let you know our thoughts on them in a probably a full episode review at some point absolutely i think we're we're even uh we've been lining up uh some potential guests for that too so but again give us time we need a chance to play through it and give it a fair shake so it'll be a little bit before that episode comes out 
All right, articles. So there are some additional articles uh, that Cubicle 7 has put out. I'm just going to high-level touch on it. There is a Talons of Verena article that was by T.S. Lucart, which is all about an, a secret order within the cult of Verena that dispenses bloody justice um, when the legal system doesn't do it. Super mm. cool. Mm. Definitely check that out. There is an article series on folk and folklore of the North, which is designed to help support the upcoming Middenheim source book for uh, uh, Middenheim. And then, of course, the Power Behind the Throne and the Power Behind the Throne Companion, which largely takes place in Middenland in Middenheim. So there's some really cool articles. I'm not going to go into too much detail there, but definitely it's uh, it's from the point of view of almost like giving you a... Uh, it's almost like an in-character breakdown of some of the things that are going on or in Middenheim and Midland. It's really cool. Definitely should check that out. Um, one thing I did want to notice is they do mention that Middenheim, City of the White Wolf, the book, is supposed to release in fourth quarter. It is middle of November, so I don't, I mean, it's anybody's guess on if, if we'll see that before Christmas. Uh, here's hoping. And they did say, too, that in Alt, the Altdorf book will be in 2021. So, I mean, we those aren't surprises. We knew they were both coming. Um, I think my surprise was is that Cubicle 7 is, is saying we'll see the Middenheim City book before the end of the year. Um, I'm hoping it's true because I'm super excited to get it. One other thing, too. Uh, there is another article I want to mention really quickly. Purple Hand Clarification. This has spoilers in it. I'm not going to talk about it. But if you're running the enemy within and you're the GM, it's worth taking a look at that article. Um, and if you are planning on being a player in it, probably should avoid that one. Um, but that's on Cubicle 7's website. And now over to our sister games. The starter set for the Age of Sigmar Soulbound has been released. So we got maps, we got some dice, um, and just uh, some starring adventurers, some printouts for characters. This is really going to help out because I'm trying to start a soulbound campaign with some of my friends so yeah. if i can get this get a hold of this it's going to be a lot easier to be able to convince them to want to play so mm -hmm. yeah i okay. always enjoy starter sets that's right <laughs> cubicle seven send us one overnight so <laughs> we'll we'll uh we'll get nolan to try it out here but um I do want to say, man, when you look at the production of Wolfrup and then you look at this, there's a lot of similarities, but those dice, man, they just look pretty. The gatefolds, yeah. I'm a those huge fan nice. of gatefolds. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, so I think there are some pictures on Cubicle 7's website if you haven't already looked and you're interested in Soulbound, the starter set. I think they have some like uh, first mock-ups or whatever, so you can see what it's going to look like, and it's beautiful. Oh, in a nice, big, huge map. <laughs> I was going to say, when I saw there was a map, I knew I knew you, Lance, were going <laughs> to love that. Uh, some other things that have been released with Soulbound. Fateful Night. So, like the Hell Rides to Halt, this one was also released in time for Halloween. Uh, this can be in, played with a, a adventure or on its own. It's not too big, 18 pages. The picture on the front, oh, like mm -hmm. I do. That's something uh -huh. that I definitely, I, I, I'm out. Like just, yeah, a fateful night, and yeah, Banshee is right there. Uh, Good thing I'm soul bound because I would probably be running. See, that's the difference, right, between 
um, Soulbound and Woofrup, right? And Woofrup yeah. were were desperately trying to avoid that combat, and because we could die. And in Soulbound, it's let's charge in. <laughs> yeah. So and uh, other ones, rotten to the core. The Soulbound Shadow and Mist campaign is being set to release very soon. In fact, at the time of this recording, it's they're scheduled to release next week. Oh, so, is it that, that? Geez, see, I didn't yeah. even realize it was that quick. Yep, it was going to be. Uh, they said in the following week, so right. uh, I'm excited because uh, I read through the first part of it. So the Rotten Core, looking forward to that one. That's going to be real nice. Uh, so looking my- forward to see how they play off from the, where you got dropped off in the last book. Right. So by by the time just by the time you hear this episode, by the time we get it edited and actually published, that might already be out. Um yes, probably. It was, so yeah, but that's be out. That's cool. I didn't realize that was la- uh, around the corner there. So nifty. Yep. And uh the Animal Guard City Guide is also being uh has just released as well. So once again, like with the starter set, it's going to be its maps uh, basically what is Anvil Guard, the city, and everything that goes around in it. So another, I guess you'd call it, source book for the city. Very nice. Always enjoy these because I, if I can't think of anything of uh, how a city works, open it up, and there you go. Yeah. And Anvil Guard is such a interesting concept for a city, too, right? It's and that's maybe one of the one another one of the advantages of Soulbound is things are a little more. I don't know if crazy is the right word, but like just the the layout of that city and how it looks and how it functions without going into mm-hmm. too much detail is really cool. In our other sister game, Warhammer 40k Wrath and Glory, we have a little bit of news. The books for that are in production, as well as we've got our first glimpse into the Forsaken System Player's Guide which looks really neat. It's got a bunch of new options for adventurers, um, including 20 new archetypes with gear, abilities, psychic powers, several new races, ogrins, ratlings, and crute, and uh, as well as endeavors and even more. All I can think of, and of course, after talking all about Marvel <laughs> for the last little bit, <laughs> is I am crute, and I feel like uh, that would have to be a thing. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> So all but, I uh, all I have to say is if you can be a crute but you can't have a crute hound, like what would be the point, man? I I, I haven't I I'm not right. sure, but that to me like the ninety nine percent of the reason I would choose to be a crute would be so I could have a crute hound. So very nice. So yeah, that that's looking looking pretty solid. You can find out more about this and other things online at cubicle seven games dot com. Awesome. Okay, so that's a lot to go over, but let's get into the meat of today's show. And on today's show, uh, we are going to be starting a new series of episodes. Um, So we're kind of focusing on reviewing religion and the gods of the Warhammer world. So these episodes that we're going to be doing are going to be somewhat similar to our career episodes. Um, So we're going to pick between like one and three gods. We'll go over their background in the Warhammer world, what the unique challenges and opportunities that a devout follower of a particular cod might have or bring to the table, um, you know, or things you might need to think of as a player or a GM. So um, we're really excited to start this. Um, 
And now tonight's show is going to be slightly different than how that format will go going forward. Um, as first, we want to start by going over religion and belief in general. Um, so we want to review the Wolfrop Core rulebook, do a general overview of the rules and backgrounds to get you started and uh, before we dive in. And uh, when we to finish off the episode, we're going to review One God um, as part of that new format. And we just started to... Uh, we decided to start with one of our favorite gods, which is Mor, the god of death, um, or I should say the god of the dead. We'll talk about that later. Um, so, uh, so <laughs> old worlders, be sure to pay your respects to the various shrines and temples um, in your travels as we discuss religion and belief, ending with a solemn walk through the gardens of the god of death uh, in this episode of the Old World Podcast. So, Steve... So- yeah. You want to get us started here? We do. Uh, we'll start with the old gods. These are the gods that the when the empire was just like uh, uh, pure just trees, forest, tribes. I'm talking old times. These were the gods, uh, and they were Manan, Mor, Ulrich, Taal, and Raiha. Yeah. So these were the original gods. I did want to point out. Um, as uh, when when that world you described where it was just trees and barbarian tribes, the elves were building glitterous cities on the sea and the dwarves had a giant mountain kingdom. There's These that. old, old gods would have been more of kind of like the tribes would have had like a Patreon God and it kind of right. would have been more territorial geographical wise uh, where they were and worshipped and so on. Absolutely. So I think uh, just from a overview point, um, so Manan is like the god of seas, uh, you know, the ocean, things like that. More god of death and dreams. Ulrich is war, winter wolves. Um, and Tal is kind of the god of the wilds. Yep. Spring. And, yeah. And Raya is like fertility in life. I've really enjoyed in going through this chapter and reading more specifically about each of the gods, both stuff that's in the book and from other sources, seeing how similar they are to Greek and Roman gods and that, Mm -hmm. you know, these, this God is the husband of uh, this goddess and together their offspring are these three gods and, and the same kind of like just interesting stories that that just that in itself tells is, is really quite fascinating. Right. And, and diving into this, like, I think uh, if you go all the way back and listen to what, like our third or fourth episode, we go into a, an overview of the Warhammer world where we talk about religion and we do talk about it a little bit. But in general, I mean, we you hear us talk Sigmar, 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 right? Well, Sigmar is the patron god of the Empire, but all of these gods, they're all there. They all have devout followers. <laughs> and uh, it's definitely, it's a crowded block when it comes to the gods in Warhammer. And it's uh, actually fun you say that because there's one legend that goes when more at like so at the beginning of the world or the beginning of time, uh, more Ulrich and Tall, when they were debating, you know, who would get what, Ulrich and Tall were demanding the living, and mm-hmm. more was like, no, I'll take the underworld, you know, it's like that's what I want. Uh, and Tall and Orc were like, all right, you can have it, you know, big deal, we don't want it. Well, more kind of, you know, and not really tricked him, but he actually started killing, or I guess in the legend, 
killing a lot of the living and populating his own realm like that. And Ulrich and Tall were not happy with that at all. So basically, uh, you know, they worked it out and all that stuff. And that's why when we die, we go to more because that was the agreement. You know, <laughs> Ulrich and Tall have the living. But when you die, you go to Moore's realm. I, I love how you said that, right, Nolan? You're so ingrained in the Warhammer world. You, I don't know if you even caught this. You didn't say, like, and so when you die in the Warhammer, you're like, when we die. <laughs> like, like It's like, no, I'm I'm personally the Lord of the Underdeep. I'm a devout, devout follower of more. <laughs> I mean, you guys don't know what I do on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, That's man. why I've been playing a lot of video games. I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man! So those, so we're just uh, we're doing kind of a brief overview of the gods. So we talked a little bit about the old gods. Um, Nolan, you want to tell us about some of the new classical gods? I call them new. <laughs> yeah. Well, the classical gods, or yes, the new gods, were while maybe not around from the very beginning. You know, this is their aspect, and actually, some of them, uh, Midia. And Shalia are actually the daughters of Mor. So we got, for the classical gods, we got Renald, the god of trickery. Mermidia, the goddess of strategy, I believe she is. Yep, the goddess of strategy. Shalia, the goddess of mercy. Verena, the goddess of wisdom. And funny enough, Cain. Now, I know what some of you guys are probably thinking out there. Like, Cain's an elven god. What? What is he doing in, you know, with the human gods? Well, while, yes, he is, uh, at least for the Dark Elves, that's their main god there. Cain is, in all respect, an accepted god for the humans. But he is outlawed uh, in the Empire. So if you're, you know, a worshiper of Cain in the Empire, you probably are going to get a secret knock in the middle of the night from the witch hunters. Yeah, Cain okay. is a super interesting uh, god for sure. It's uh it's definitely something that I it's like when you it's kind of a major god but kind of not because it's illegal and you know, it's it's underground. So it's not like the chaos gods, right, where they're more of a big deal, but Cain is kind of Cain is almost like it's not chaos and he's not evil. But he's a god of murder, so yeah, we can't yeah. really have him be part of the pantheon of gods kind of thing. The good club. Right. Yeah. Right. Team he's the god guys. of what murder, violence, uh, war. War, bloodshed, violence. All those, yeah, um, destruction, all those good things. All the best things, really, if we're being honest. <laughs> nice. So funny enough, Matt, when you were saying earlier about the correlations with like the Greek gods and all that stuff. I believe in the Greek mythology, Ares and Athena are both gods of war and the, or goddess of war, but it's like different aspects yeah. of war. So like you got Cain, who's yeah, like bloody death and murder and stuff like that, where uh, Moore is, yes, the god of the dead, but you know he's not exactly right. mutilating people. Right. 
so there are lots of so we just kind of talked about the main gods of the empire or you know of the human realms of the old world if you will and uh but there are other gods we should mention right so regional gods um so the big one is sigmar right so in the empire and in the reichland in particular sigmar is the warrior king that became a god that ascended to godhood and the empire itself is built upon sigmar sigmar you know uh, unified all the various tribes in the empire. He saved the dwarven high king, which made the dwarves, you know, honor the agreement and treaty and peace, um, which has saved the empire on numerous occasions. And so when he died, he ascended to godhood and is now the the god of the empire. So, um, and I think we said this uh, many times, but you um you might revere several gods or whatever, but if you're in the Empire, everybody reveres Sigmar, probably to some extent. Maybe some Ulrichans don't, but most do. There are other regional gods too. So like just because, right, you have like uh Bretonia. Bretonia reveres the Lady of the Lake. They have their kind of own set of beliefs there. Kislev has several other gods uh, too to the north, uh, Urson being the uh, most famous. So uh, we won't go into super detail on those, but there are a lot of different options there. And then, of course, you have provincial gods, right? So depending on the province, um, so we already mentioned Reichland. Uh, the, pretty much you could argue the provincial god of Reichland is Sigmar. It's where Sigmar, you know, was, right, during his reign. But, you know, if you're in Tabakland, Tall is kind of the uh, the patron deity of, of that province. Ostermark would be more. Middenland would be like Ulrich. So like everybody, depending on where you are in the empire, you might revere some gods more than others. Um, so it's important. To, and then, of course, you, you don't just have that, right? You have like other minor gods. Like um, merchants often, you know, honor uh, Handrick. Uh, if you're on the river, right, a boatman or something, Grandfather Reich, if you're on the river, Reich is is like a, a local god. And so there are lots of other minor gods um, in the core rule book. You can go and see some of those uh, with different pieces. Uh, even um, there are like various river gods that are listed um, that uh, are in some of the dev diaries. So if you're lucky enough to get the collector's edition of the enemy within there are some dev diaries and they've put in some extra stuff that didn't make it into final books and they have some river god stuff in there too so um there's lots of just different places and examples of gods so even though i might follow sigmar and be a devout follower of sigmar you know when i get on a boat i may still say a prayer to manan or to grandfather reich or when i i'm traveling down the road i i'm still probably going to leave a small offering you know, maybe a coin as I pass by a shrine of some kind, right? You know, for there's you, you revere many gods often. So those are the good guys. So when we're talking bad guys, right? We talk Cain. There's, there's somebody a little bit worse. There are several. And that brings us to the demonic gods of the realms of chaos. So the chaos gods, the four main ones, at least the, the ones that we're going to talk about today. We have Korn, the Blood God, Nurgle, the Lord of Decay, Zinch, the Changer of Ways, and Slanesh, the Prince of Excess. So the Chaos Gods obviously bring with them a lot of torment and evil. 
A lot of times you won't, uh, if you worship one of these gods, you're not going to be somebody that's out doing it in a, at a temple for all to see these <laughs> no. uh, gods. Generally you'll hear their names be, you know, only said on a whisper. And they, like I said earlier, they bring with them all sorts of destruction. Right. So these, these are super fun. The, uh, I think there's a, a quote from corn or like not a quote from corn, but like a, a saying that is, Corn cares not from whence the blood flows, only that it does. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say that the like the line from Warhammer that I will like repeat, I repeat every time I hear anybody talk about blood, uh, is blood for the blood god. And right. I can thank <laughs> the uh, Citadel paint for that, but that's really cool. Yeah, so corn, the blood god, the god of uh, wrath, violence, and murder, Nurgle, disease, destruction, decay. We've already talked about Zinch a little bit. Um, in fact, uh, Lance, you and Nolan both did the the episode that oh, yeah. uh, was focused on yep. Zinch in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, The changer of ways, the god of sorcery, change, and manipulation. There's already extra information about Zinch that you can get in the Enemy in Shadows companion. And we expect to see, you know, as we go, a little bit <sighs> more here and there. Yeah, there's definitely, mm-hmm. I mean, and there's a lot of different, even in fourth edition where we've, things have been mentioned, like, uh, even like spells, there are like a couple of spells that are specific to each like God, except corn because he abhors magic, which is hilarious because he still comes from the magical ether realm. Yeah. And and he's totally fine with like using magic weapons, but yeah, like he doesn't want, yeah, like it's spell casters (laughs) kill them all. Like, but they're helping us. Don't care. Yeah. So I think that's. I've always wondered how does like a a cult of corn followers survive, right? Like, do you have a long term? Like, I've been ahead of this cult for five years. Yeah, lie. You're not a cornite then. <laughs> I was gonna say no. I think it's exactly <laughs> that's how you rise. You kill up. Yeah, that's and true. down probably. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> oh man, company picnics must be a blast. <laughs> so in addition to the chaos gods there's also other non-human specific gods so dwarves elves halflings uh gnomes all have their own gods for the dwarves we've got grimnir grungi and valaya the elvish gods are broken down even more into like certain alignments so the first alignment and Lance, I feel like you stuck me with a lot of these because for fun. <laughs> you know, and pronounce. we don't we don't actually have to go over all of these in detail. Sure. Yeah. Um, but how about I say this? The core rule book lists out all these gods, right? So you have the Kadai and um the Kathari, and it sounds like I know how to pronounce those. I absolutely do not, but they have a lot oh, of different good. different gods in there that are worth looking at. The one thing I did want to mention in this piece, and and in, I might be stealing your thunder here, Matt, but um, the book actually talks about, uh, like you don't have priest careers for these elven and dwarf gods. The book informs you to go about it a different way. So like for elves, they don't use blessings or miracles. They use magic. And so you're encouraged to use like a wizard career. And for the dwarves, they're like, find an appropriate career. So like Grimnar might be a slayer or a soldier. So it's, it's they and dwarves more revere the gods rather than worship them. Right. And so it's interesting. I suspect that we will get 
a religious focused source book at some point. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope that we'll explore some of those a little bit further. But yeah. And of course, then there's Halfling, the Halfling gods as well, which are very interesting. Yeah. Esmeralda, Hyacinth, Josias, and Quinsbury. And I, I can't help but notice, Lance, and I feel like this is, in a direct, uh, is a direct attack on me as a person. You didn't include any gnomish gods, of which we know the only true god is that. god of Maven. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Go Maven. All right. That's all right. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll allow it this once. Pra- praise Maven. Man, <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a pretty big miss on my part. So I also oh, I'm, I'm, well, I mean, you missed it because the print was too small, but I mean, <laughs> no. <laughs> Those gnomish books. Right. <laughs> so I think in cool. summary, there are a lot of gods, good and bad. They're everywhere. Using religion and using gods to help further your story and further like the lore and the experience that you and your players have in these games uh, cannot be understated. And even going back to one of the, um, it was one of the blog posts from a long time ago. I want to say they, uh, I think it was Ben yeah. Sherry talked about how, you know, pick if you have an adventure that you want to uh, run and a story you want to tell, pick a God and have that God be like the focus of what's going to happen. Right. And as we go along and dig more into, you know, some more of the meat, as far as these gods go, the more we're going to see how you can really use them to help flesh out a, what is a good story and make it a great story. Absolutely. And then, uh, mm-hmm. and so with all these gods too, they all, or most of them anyway, will have certain cults associated with them. So, and you always think of like cult is a weird, right? So like, if you say, oh, a cult, right? We're used to thinking, oh, they're cultists, kill them, right? Like a, a cult can, it's just essentially organized religion, <laughs> right? So, um, and as part of that, that's caused a lot of wars in the empire's history, and the Sigmarites got too much power in the electors for the empire caused a war. And there's lots of things. So we mm. can, I yeah. think, I, yeah. I think, how did they solve that, Steve? Uh, pretty much if they have disputes that are, aren't like at the level of like emperor and all that stuff. Uh, you got the, the, the grand conclave. Now, this is an event that's held every five years. It's a meeting of the primary cults of the empire. And basically, it's their time to air their grievances. Like, you did this. I want, you know, recompense and discuss resolutions. Uh, so it's kind of that moment. And it's usually around, like, festivals, too, in the empire. So it's kind of like a more like a joyous event. It, it's like peace. Yeah. Like, we got, we, got, we, we got this event to work everything out. And it's, our, it's, our, it's been five years. We got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I think uh, so. This is one of the ones that Magnus the Pious uh, was the emperor put into place, and it was hotly contested at the time. But it, br- it ended up bringing amazing stability to the empire and the different religious cults. And I think, um, man, when you really look at the imperial history, Magnus the Pious is one of the guys that, like, man, the empire wouldn't really be around if it weren't for him. <laughs> He got some stuff done. He, yeah, know? he did get some stuff done. You can't say uh, what, the same for all the emperors. No. Yeah. <laughs> What's cool about the Grand Conclave, it, it's it's ever evolving. Right now it does have the kind of like the major uh, uh, cults and or orders, but uh, you can lobby for a seat on the Conclave. So, you know, you can sneak in eventually if you get big enough. 
for for the record, right there, GMs, you're looking for an idea around religion. How about some underhanded dealings that your players have to deal with because some cult is trying to get a seat on the council? There you go. Booyah. That might take some bribes. Yep. yep some conniving. <laughs> some other stuff. It's a world after all. Some cane worship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be cool, actually. Get them an actual recognized god. Oh, jeez. That's not a campaign. That's a... <laughs> it's like I... a miracle quest, right? <laughs> That's a uh, we we completed that. Let's retire our like, characters because we also yeah. we also brought the end times. So. It's like someone tells you you got a one in a million chance, and you're still thinking. So you're saying there's a chance? Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> We're going for it. All right. So let's. So we talked about some of the history. We talked about a little bit about kind of like, and this is a very general sense of the empire and gods and how maybe some of them interact. And and I do want to point out, we've really only scratched the surface here. Um, and it's one of the reasons we're going to go more in depth into the gods individually. But first, let's talk about how these different religious and belief stuff comes into play in your games. So each god, at least in the Warhammer universe, all have their own separate, you know, Seats of power, head worshippers, holy sites, and all that. Strictures they follow. Penances if you break things. So, in the Warhammer, the rule book, starting on page... Uh, what was it? 205. 205. 205, thank you. I was like, I just had it. Where'd it go? Each page, and once again, this is something I really like that they do, dedicate a whole page to each god of at least the Empire... And uh, just labels out all the stuff that maybe a player should know. So if we're going to look at one just real quick, uh, the, cult, the cult of Ulrich, the god of winter. So Middenheim is their seat of power. You know, we got common holy symbols. It's white wolves, claws, penances. Uh, usually, like, tests of strength is something that Ulrich, the god of war, you know, you know, he's the god of war. So, you know, martial skill, test of strength, courage, slaying powerful monsters. Those are the stuff that you would have to do if you ever break his scriptures. Yeah, I think so. I think the, the big part, too, is is and I want to reiterate what you said earlier, Nolan. One page. It's it's like the careers, right? I have a mm -hmm. piece of artwork. I have it broken down in the exact same format for each god so I can quickly and easily go, what is this god about? You know, what are their followers like? Um, what are the things they should be doing? What are the things they shouldn't be doing? How do they make up with their god when they do something wrong? You know, it's all right there. Um, and the artwork is, is a specific, like... Um, like what you would call a sh basically a shrine or a an shrine offering. or yeah right yep <clears throat> so I really I really appreciate these because a lot of times when you think about like different things with religion you imagine like these big temples or you know these big lavish uh you know worship sites where that's not necessarily the case you know like uh the cult of Ulrich for example the shrine that they show on there is like a wolf skin and an axe and that can be all it takes to be a place of worship. I really think it's neat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And these, these art pieces were mostly done by Sam Manley and they're great. I love, I love his little pieces like this. He fits so much mm -hmm. detail into like yep. a, a quarter page piece of art. It's. Oh, not even not. Yeah. Like yeah. A, like an eighth of a right, page maybe. A, yeah. Right. Yeah. Just so yeah. good. 
Yeah, yeah. The fact that each of these gods is summarized on a single page makes, it makes it easy to, to find the information that you need. It's also great that if you know that there's going to be uh, like something really important about that God in an adventure or even in a session, you could easily just like, you know, copy off a couple copies of the page, hand them to your players so that they know, right. They can, a lot of times this information is probably stuff that just would be known by players in the world, but the right. really nitty gritty of like, you know, some of the stuff about the worshipers or the holy sites for the, the cult of Tal, for example, you might not know it exactly. So having a better look at that uh, is important. And specifically, if you have a, a player who is going to actually worship one of these gods, having a page like this available to them is invaluable. Yeah, I would do is break your strictures because that can mm. be that can get messy. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But no, uh, I, I would say not invaluable, almost necessary. I mean, if if you can't, like that player, if they don't have the ability to print the page out, have the book in front of you open to that. If if you are a priest or a warrior priest and, and you're, you know, you need to have that in front of you. It, it's going to help you role play and it's going to help you with all the different rules that, you, that you're going to end up dealing with. And and actually, let's let's dive into that because... What what are the rules? So, primarily, when interacting with the gods, you have the prey skill. The prey. So, really, what you're dealing with is two talents and one skill. The skill is the prey skill, and then you have the talents, which is bless and invoke. Right. So, the prey skill is the test that you would use, um, the skill that you would use to actually um, utilize the talents of bless or invoke. So, bless allows you to do various blessings which is just a challenging prey test. And um, if you succeed, there are different things that you can do with that. But um, it's a very straightforward. And then same thing, invoke is also a prey test, right? But invoke is miracles. And we'll get into miracles in a minute here. But man, they're almost, they're, they're as good as the spells. There's so many cool things. Yeah, they, they really are. Yeah. I think so- it's also important to point out that the prey skill is based off of your fellowship. So yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating, right? I think, right. I think in my actual play character, Deke Mir, I kind of learned that the hard way because <laughs> the warrior priest doesn't have access to fellowship for a while right. um, and definitely makes it a little bit harder to be consistently successful. Although in my defense, I have not failed that often. So, that's Well, you good. also put a lot of experience into the skill itself to True. try to offset that that downside there oh yeah which means once i once i can snag some fellowship i should be all set but right in the meantime <laughs> right <laughs> corruption so, points right oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. well before no before we jump there um a couple limitations for prey or the prey skill itself right um you can only put one prayer into effect at a single time right so i can't give you a blessing of righteousness and then next round give you another one they don't stack Right. Um, they can't be in, in effect at the same time. That's that's one of the big pieces. But if you fumble on that prey test, things go south. Why don't you tell us about Indeed. sin points, Matt? Well, yeah, I also wanted to mention that. And this is a neat one that's included in there talking about the limitations on prayers. You have to be able to speak. So, and that's, that's important Mm. information. If you're going against, like if you're in a situation where you are fighting some people that are very religious, that may be trying to, to spew off some incantations that would be bad, uh, you know, gag them, 
if you, or if you can, or do, you know, try to keep them from being able to speak to prevent that from going down. I'd also like to say that um, the, another talent, those are the two main ones, right? Bless and invoke are the important ones, but the other, one other talent that could have some pretty significant impact is holy hatred, which mm-hmm. gives you plus one damage from miracles, which not all miracles are, are combat related, but a lot of them are. Yeah. There's holy yeah. visions also, which can come into play too, in an indirect way. Um, right for like holy places and stuff like that yeah so no that's a good point i i yep. forgot about the speaking one that's it's just like uh spells in that way you got to be able to speak right yep so that uh that brings us to what you had mentioned lance and that is sin points so sin points are what you get when you anger your gods either by fumbling a test or breaking your strictures although i don't think we know what that's like considering the people in our game are really good about their strictures, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, so yeah, some points gained by acting contrary to your strictures. Generally that's going to be between one and three points, depending on how bad uh, and what, you know, what you've done. That's so bad. Uh, I think in the book, they talk about the uh, Mermidia and talking about how Mermidia, you know, one of her strictures is to be, to pay respect to prisoners of war. If you denied a thirsty prisoner a drink, that would be, you know, maybe worth a single sin point. Uh, attacking or beating a prisoner would be multiple. And if you tortured or killed one, that would be three or more sin points. Uh, and sin points can be pretty rough. The Wrath of the Gods table is, <laughs> is bad right out of the beginning. But the more sin points you have, the more it is going to be added to whatever you roll on that table. So I feel so, like I, I want to say this: the Wrath of the Gods table. I feel like it's taking the the minor and major miscast tables and just throwing away the minor one and just keeping the major. Yep, <laughs> yep. Or at least it transitions much faster into like you know if you roll on the miscast table and if you roll below like a forty or a fifty, like ah, it's, it's not that big a deal. You know, you're right, pro- knocked prone or you take some wounds. This one can get can get pretty nasty pretty quickly. So once you so the way you'd roll on the Wrath of the Gods table is if you fumble a prey test uh, is the, the main way. And then also if you have sin points, anytime that you roll equal to or less than your number of sin points on your units die. For every sin point you have, though, and it, it, when you're forced to roll on the Wrath of the Gods table, you add 10 to your roll for every sin point you have. Ooh. After you resolve your whatever you've rolled on that table, you then remove a sin point. So that's a, not a great way to get rid of sin points. Not the most efficient, but it is a way to get rid of them. Um, and the wrath of the gods table is a super fun one. There's a lot on here. The values on the table range from um, one all the way up to 150. So or 151 or higher. So basically you uh, in order to hit some of those higher values on there, you're going to have to have a lot of sin points um, in order for that to be a, be a thing you really need to be super worried about. But well, there's some good ones on here. What are some of your guys' favorites? All right. I, I'll i go sir, first. There are so many good ones. So many. Um, But if I had to pick one, it's Suffer As I Suffer. Um, mm-hmm. Man, you gain plus one or one plus the number of sin points you have in bleeding conditions every morning until you have performed a penance. And some of these penances that you might have to perform, it's not like a, I go pray at a local temple. It could be significant. An entire adventure is worth of stuff you might need to do. But yep. in the meantime, 
you are getting bleeding conditions, depending on your sim points, potentially like three, four, five bleeding conditions every morning. Can you think like, oh man, I wake up, I'm going back to the, I need to buy more bandages. Like I could just, man, that is eventually, that is going to cause you some major problems. (laughs) How much, where where are you bleeding from? You know, (laughs) right. How much do bed sheets cost in the old world? I get well, I just get some red ones, but uh, <laughs> ah, see now you that's costly. You know what you're doing, man. You know what you're it's doing, red guy, man. <laughs> what about you, Steve? What are what's your favorite? Um, I, I I like two of them. I like the demonic in- interference. Yeah, I mean, just imagining just one D10 lesser demons appearing within two D, and they're just attacking whoever's first. Um, I mean, it could give you, uh, I, I mean, if, I mean, if meant if you were in like a castle, the, the chaos, it would have caused, um, well, more than going around more than that. Just think about some of the battles that you guys have been involved in. You're fighting skeletons or something. And, and yeah. like Deke's Deke's, uh, Deke's prey test goes horribly wrong. He has no fortune left. And all of a sudden now on top of the skeletons, there's eight lesser demons that just joined the fray. That mm-hmm. could be. That I think could uh, kill everyone. Uh, no, it'll kill the skeletons because we're going to be running as fast <laughs> yep. as we can. <laughs> we're going to shut the door on this one. <laughs> Thanks, skeletons. Peace. And, uh, oh, boy. and the last one is I like that one too, but uh, I'm I'm not sure. Hey, Nolan, was that was that your favorite? The last one. I do like Call to Account, but actually, mine is Prove Your Worth. Okay. So, yeah. A divine servant of your deity appears within D one hundred yards and attacks, intervenes, berates, or similar according to the nature of the offended god. So yeah, maybe if you have one of the like if you're Sha uh Shalia or something like that, maybe the divine servant won't be, you know, the worst thing that happens, but like if Ulrich, yes, the Sigmar, god of war, Sigmar or Ulrich. Sig- yeah, or even uh, what is it, Mermidia, the Mermidia? goddess of oh. strategy? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, and it doesn't say like, oh, you have to, you know, okay, like you try to talk it down. No, it's you know, this is it go time. Yeah, prove your worth. That could is be that Sigmar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how that one that's super high on the chart, right? Like you'd have to have a horribly unlucky roll and a bunch of sin points to ever roll it. And it's not a, you know, it doesn't have like a huge mechanical effect on gameplay. Instead, it's more of like, you know, uh, it might obviously have a horrible right. effect, but it's also just one of the things that I really appreciate about how, how these rules are written and how, even in a situation like that, it would be more of uh, how it affects the story instead of how it affects the mechanisms of the game. A thousand yeah. percent. I think that's probably the best role play one right there. Because if you, so let's use the example from earlier, right? Let's say you picked up three sin points because you killed a prisoner or something, right? Or you're torturing a prisoner or whatever might be happening. Try yeah. to get, right? Even mm-hmm. if your intentions are good, we have to torture this person so they tell us where the other cultist is so they don't release a greater demon, right? That's worth torturing someone for potentially. But not, you just rolled this on the sin table. I mean, as a GM, my immediate thought is like an avatar Mermidia that you can't harm appears, like stops you, releases the prisoners and then makes a spear attack at you with some ridiculous amount of damage, you know, like as a punishment. So like, yeah. Or, or imprisons you or restrains you in a way that you can't get out. And now you're stuck. 
right That's or you're going to treat a prisoner we're going to you know or we'll flip the tables right and it, have have you are now the prisoner and the prisoners now have all your weapons in there oh have yeah you. but see like this is this is exactly what i'm talking about this kind of role on this table should be a table discussion come up with something cool like i didn't think of that matt but we went back and forth off ideas of each other and that sounds so perfect on that situation right but we came up with that based on a very specific situation what is going on when you roll on this table that should inform some of these decisions yep that sounds awesome (laughs) yeah so i i I put down two for my favorites the first one is not necessarily because of its its effect in game, but more just its title. And that is, I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> yeah, that is too good of a, uh, a Darth Vader reference to leave it alone. But my favorite based on it's what actually happens is behold your wickedness. You suffer excruciating visions of your failures, which seem to take an eternity, but are over in a moment. Discuss with your GM to build a custom psychology to reflect your character dealing with this traumatic experience. That's another one that has like, uh, I think more, you know, uh, like you said, Lance, having like a table discussion to come up with what the right, uh, in this case, the right psychology would be based on the circumstance just is really, it's really neat. This, that could be like a permanent effect. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. For sure. I mean, quite, quite frankly, anything above a hundred on this chart is extremely punishing. I mean, I love the fact that we're we're going into detail about some of these. Now, frankly, I hope none of y'all have to experience these, but if you do, <laughs> you can make it just it's just awesome. This the 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 stories you can come up with for it, just the role playing, uh the effects of these, how they how they uh go with your group. Um, I mean, cuz some of these are just brutal. I, mean, I know you as a group may have to help this guy get through this. It, I think for our next session, I'm going to hand out um, Deke strictures to everyone so that they know <laughs> the temptation they need to put him go. through. <laughs> keep it coming, man. I, uh, I've done a good job so far. I'm going to see how long I can keep that going. So uh, this next part is more like an option that a GM can use. Uh, of course, we're dealing with like uh, uh, prayers and of course, uh, for each of the gods, there's different, uh, you know, orders, cults that may pray to their god in a different way. Maybe some is more of a moan, some's more of a whisper. Uh, but definitely, you can like the GM can work with that because if you let's as an example, it, it's like a prayer to Ulrich, but it sounds like a war cry. You know, if you don't tone it down because you got to be quiet, it may not have as much of a blessing or an effect due to that prayer is weak prayer you're praying to ulrich and you're whispering yeah i might come you know so you can increase the the difficulty for these if you're gm you know to represent that yeah and so this is something that i'm glad we reread this because i'm going to be taking some of these optional rules into consideration like so you know if if we're if we're all sneaking around trying to get in somewhere and somebody wants to bless a weapon or something like that well maybe that's going to be a plus 10 difficulty because you're trying to be quiet and uh, so, yeah, I definitely think this is a good way to shake it up a little bit and to think about just like casting magic, right? It's the difference between casting magic in a quiet tower versus on a sailing ship in a storm in the middle of a battle, right? Um, you know, it's there are difficulty changes in that. 
I didn't put this in the show notes, and I, I wanted to do a quick audible here. But did you see that other optional rule on page 220, the petty concerns? This is one where, man, I've been, I'm not going to lie, Matt, my friend, I've been looking for ways to get you this, into that sin This point. is it. This <laughs> is exactly you. it. So the whole concept here is if you're doing multiple blessings or miracles, like in a short period of time, right? Like the God can become annoyed with you and there can be a consequence. Maybe your GM needs to start assigning sin points when you're, oh, I'm going to do this blessing and then I'm going to do this blessing next round and this blessing, right? So like that's a, that's something now I think as a GM, right, you should be warning your player, right? Oh, well, you know, I'm thinking maybe you did a blessing last round and now you want to do another blessing. I you know, you know, maybe there's going to be a sin point there or certainly three times in one encounter for sure. Like, I'm not sure what the, where the line is on that, but it's definitely something that will be forefront of my mind going forward. I will say that. Poor um, Matt. <laughs> like, um, none of us. I will, I'll, I'll give it to you, man. That if there's been any reason so far that I've discerned a sin point, uh, that, that is where that would come in. For real. Um, hey man, yeah. I love your blessings of righteousness, making our weapons ma- magical. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a few ghosts that would still be alive to this day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> makes no sense, but they'd be around. <laughs> um, so, uh, moving on to uh, blessings. Of course, blessings allow you to enact a blessing. Um, it does take the blessed talent, and it's a challenging prey test. And depending on the cult, and I would definitely. I'd go over the blessings because you only get six. There's 19 different options, but you really only get six. And each cult gives you access to six. So if there are certain blessings that are just way cool, like I mentioned, like the blessing of righteousness. I mean, if you're in situations where you got to deal with something that can only be killed by magic weapon, I don't know of too many other things in this game <laughs> to to right. make a weapon magical besides that if you don't you have, find one right mm-hmm. if you don't have a wizard and you don't have a priest with a blessing of righteousness life could get very difficult very quickly if you're in if you're if your gm is putting you in contact with ghosts <laughs> exactly. or banshees or so, something like that you might want to make sure your cult uh, is cool with that yeah uh but i also believe the uh what is it the talents for the demon the demonic trait uh, if it's not magical, you have to roll to see if you actually hit. Yeah. Yup. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. That's 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 came up multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. This it's it's something something to be thinking about for sure. Though you do if you get uh you do get some bonuses kind of like with casting spells where if you get extra success levels you can do extra stuff with it too. It definitely could increase your range uh, or an extra target. Let's say you want to target your companion. Hey, you rolled well. You maybe target one, two, or three. Yeah. Uh, very, very helpful. Like I said, with the magical weapon. Yeah, Matt. Matt did that. Does that every game? Anytime swords are drawn, I'm fairly certain his next thing is I bless the weapons. Yeah. Well, granted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and duration as well. You can increase the rounds as well if you roll well. So choose wisely. All right. Uh, so we talked blessings, and blessings are cool. But let's talk where the real pudding is. That's not a saying. But let's talk where the real, I don't know. Let's talk about miracles. 
<laughs> so uh miracles like uh blessings are like the big the big juicy pudding since lance likes to describe miracles just like that uh <laughs> of the gods so each god has like their own little miracle but how do you do miracles well you need the evoke divine lore uh talent to actually be able to do a miracle and when you take it for 100 experience you only get to know one miracle you can purchase this multiple times but you have to increase your experience every time kind of like when you do magic and also on that note uh under normal circumstances you can't really learn multiple miracles by different gods um, I can't really think of a reason at this moment why maybe you could do Sigmar and Ulrich, but that's up to something for your GM. However, I feel like uh, that's that you just described Heinrich. He is he is the combination <laughs> of the avatar of Sigmar and Heinrich. I was like, he yeah. is blessed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> also for when you have the invoke divine lore. You can't learn petty magic or arcane magic talents. So you basically are going, like, if you have a character, you can either be a priest or the wizard. You can't really cross over. Well, I think this is really interesting because one of the things we talked about, if you guys remember, way back in one of our first episodes when we talked about, like, religion and magic and all that, we actually kind of talked about how Religion is almost like magic that people don't know that they're doing magic. Like uh, we kind of described it as, you know, as pseudo magic. And I think miracles is when you look at miracles, they're kind like, of like spells, but it's like manifestations mm -hmm. of divine will. Exactly. But they're, they're different. They're, they're similar, but they're different. And I think that rule makes it very clear. There is no crossover. So, right. Well, and it's interesting that like, you know, if you're standing in a crowd and you, cast a spell you're going to get hung where you stand by witch hunters and you know people are going to run screaming whereas if you're in that same boat and you cast a miracle for you know a god that's worshipped in that area you could be you know potentially hoisted up on your shoulders and yeah that's praised. true they're not it's not it doesn't have that same connotation where you know when you're doing it despite the fact that from a rules point of view they are quite similar uh in the actual world that is not the case Right. And and it's different because like magic use it uses the winds of magic. You know, you gotta pull from that to be able to do something, make it real. Um, but this stuff is kind of like I don't know, like I, the godly winds. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> or, or, yeah. or or it's like you're requesting assistance. You know, and and I guess how good you are, you know, of course dice rolls, of course, don't necessarily reflect your character in game, right? <laughs> but yeah. Miracles are specific to each god, too. Yep. It's, it's uh, super cool. Which is also very nice, because you got about, I think it's uh, at least uh, about six. Yeah, six, I believe six for per every god. Per god, which, yeah. like the magic, I assume maybe we might get more, or maybe I can see some of them. I would be surprised I, if we don't get more. Um, so, like, I would, yeah. like, yeah, assume we'd get more, but I could also see we'd get some of them that are kind of the similar of somebody else's, but maybe under a different name, which 
I would be fine with that, but I do like my own unique miracles. Right. So actually yeah, I, it's interesting. I think you're going to go where I was going to go with this, Matt. Go ahead. Just, just that the, like the, so the gnome gods, when yes. they added those in, they essentially took, there's three gnomish gods. The, they have a table that breaks down the spheres of influence, the worshipers, the offerings, and then the blessings, which it just pulls six from those available. The miracles essentially is the same way. Although in this case, they only pull three miracles, all from different gods. And those are the ones that you have access to. Yeah. So being a follower of Maven, only have access to death mask, which is a more uh, miracle of more. You ain't see me right. Which is Ronald, I believe. Yep. Ronald. And then finally sort of justice, which is Verena. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I imagine like down the road, that might be another option that they go. I would have loved to have seen some unique and specific miracles for the gnomish gods, but yeah, that's, that's Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and to be honest, based on for reasons, I won't go into. I'm fairly certain we're not going to see any further gnome content anytime soon. But so, like uh, with the blessings that we talked about, what's your guys' favorite miracles? Mine is going to be after looking through them all, the Snow King's Judgment. So you got Fellowship Yards for range, one target, and the duration is instant. You call on Ulrich to make manifest his disdain for the weak, the cowardly, and the deceitful. The target suffers 1d10 wounds, ignoring toughness bonus and armor points. However, if the GM rules that the target is neither weak, cowardly, or deceitful, you suffer the effects instead. That's that's awesome. So, like, why I love this is you can't just be like, oh, you know, uh, let's just, I'm going to use Snow King's Judgment to attack this person so we don't have to worry about it. And the GM could be like, no, you're taking the easy way out. Ulrich ain't going to like that. Now, let me me tell you, for the GM to do this properly, they would not tell the player until after they've made that miracle whether or not their target is. Well, yeah, yeah, true. But, yeah, just in general, it's like, "Mm -mm." Well, I I just think, like, oh, this has the potential to be some pretty huge damage, right? But, like, the thing is, is like, oh, man, we're getting charged by an orc. Let me do this. Dude, as your GM, I don't think an orc it meets any of those definitions. They're definitely not weak, cowardly, or deceitful. That is not how an orc functions, right? So, yeah. So, like, to me, that would be like bad decision. Ulrich might not like orcs, but they, Ulrich probably respects their strength. <laughs> so, man, that's so cool. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I like cat's eyes. Um, this is one of Ronald's, but it's basically a cat manifest. And for the duration of this miracle, you see through the, the cat's eyes, you move as a cat moves. The cat can't be like killed or anything like that. Like it just, it, it goes a- around doing cat things. So like you could use it to case somebody out or there's so many things you could do. But while you are part in this miracle, you're essentially helpless. This is similar to the Hedgecraft Between Worlds, I forget what it's called, spell, right? But like this is this is like uh, super cool. I think there's a lot of possibility for fun with with that miracle. Oh yeah, especially in the urban world because mm-hmm. that shows that same one. 
Oh, did you? Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> because it's just like it's the ultimate scout. I mean, yeah. as long as your group is watching you in the hotel room, you can go where control it. I mean, yeah. who's gonna you know think twice about another cat in a big city? Right. Right. Yep. I was gonna say one of the big differences though is uh, with in this case you like you know just when you're uh, when the miracle's over like you just stop being the cat. Whereas if you cast that spell and something bad happens, you could potentially be lost in nothingness yeah. for the rest of your you know existence. <laughs> That's true. There is so, that. There is yeah, that. Differences there, but that, that is a neat one. That is a neat one. Um, so I have a couple. I love the Miracle of More that's dooming, which yeah. is essentially just being able to doom a character, um, uh, which I feel like from a from a long-term play standpoint, having doomings are huge because A, it kind of gives you some focus if you've got a character that's close to death, but also um, they're just so fun, especially with the supplement in the GM screen being yeah. able to roll on that table. Yep. But, but this, this, by I, the way, is how you get a non-human player in your group to get a dooming. Yep. Mm. Yep, and honestly, a, being a miracle of more, the likelihood of finding somebody that could do that for you probably isn't outside of the realm of possible. Oh, no, yeah. It's more so than some of these easy. other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think my favorite one, and I've, I remember back to when we did our very first cover, or our uh, beginning coverage of fourth edition i'm pretty sure i said the same one and that is drown man's face yeah which is um, you implore manan to drown your foes your target's lungs continuously fill with salt water while the miracle is active their hair floats around their head as if submerged gain the fatigue condition if they um and are subject to drowning rules and suffocation just the, the entire thought of that like experience i i'll tell you i'm not a great swimmer the thought of like being in a, a area where like my lungs would fill with water or i would start to drown is absolutely terrifying and especially in this case you could do it even if you weren't you know immediately close to water obviously i would think with manan you'd have to be reasonably close but you know you could be in a in a tavern that's on you know uh, mm-hmm. an ocean side or something and boom there we go you cast this miracle and somebody just like starts drowning in front of you so i want to oh sorry go ahead no just that it's 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 wicked in all the all the right ways i wanted to point out something here right so if i'm a priest of manan i'm absolutely going to try to find a way to use my blessing of breath in conjunction with that so bless somebody with a blessing of breath then perform that miracle and then go use the way they look to you know, you could cast it on. There's a lot of you cast it on somebody, maybe like a noble that's going to be making a speech, right? You don't want to kill them, but you want to like freak everyone out, or maybe make the witch hunter suspect him. Or man, you just you so make it so that they don't need to breathe, but they look like they're underwater, dude. That could cause all sorts of fun. Oh yeah, that'd be traumatizing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's that's a reasonable statement. Awesome. All right, guys. So we've talked a lot about general. Again, this is as much as we talked about, we barely scratched the surface. Every God has, you know, decades of writing and background um, throughout uh, the years um, with all the Wolfrup and and Warhammer. So uh, there's lots to go into. So we're going to get into individual gods more in depth. Um, Before we do that, just if you're looking for more information, uh, obviously, be sure to check out the core rulebook, the religion and belief chapter. 
Um, but there are other sources as well. Uh, go on to drive, excuse me, drive through RPG, pick up a copy of the Tome, Tome of Salvation, which is a second edition Wuffert PDF. It has great information, more in depth than the core rule book for fourth edition. Um, as far as like background on the different gods and stuff. And uh, third edition has the Tome of Blessings, which is similar. So if you can manage to get a copy of that, it's very hard to get some copies of some of that stuff, but there's some good stuff. Um, if, from the top of my head, I think the Tome of Blessings might be part of the core set, which is super expensive to get right now. But if you can somehow manage to get your hands on one, that's a good way uh, to go about it. And then there's lots of websites online. In fact, Matt was telling me about one he was uh, looking at earlier today. I forget which one was it. It was a wiki of some kind, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was uh, warhammerfantasy.fandom.com. It's essentially like one of the specific wiki sites. And uh, it, it, I mean, any any website is going to be pretty good to get you the information you need, like you know, pretty uh, quickly. But I found that one to be a pretty darn good resource. So definitely want to check out if you're looking for more info on it. Awesome. All right. Well, guys, let's dig into our first god as a, as a teaser of this new format here. And uh, as we said before, we're going to be doing the god more. Um, so if you're following along at home, uh, you can find information in the core rulebook on page 206 um, for more. The god of death or the god of the dead. Nolan, why don't you take us through why we keep making that correction? So, Moore is the god of the dead, not really of death. He, like, rules the underworld, the, un the death people. And the reason I always think about him as, like, Hades in the Greek mythology, he wasn't the god of death, that was Thanatos. Uh, Hades was, you know, he was in charge of the underworld basically of stone precious material anything under the ground was his domain so that's how i look at it with more unfortunately you know in fourth edition they do have in the core rule book uh the cult of more god of death so that's why we keep uh messing up every now and then of the god of the dead and of death yeah, so it's it's interesting to see, right? Like, um, Moore doesn't care about anyone, like how how they die, right? It's it's once they're dead, and so mm -hmm. now, so it's not. I mean, we're being super picky about it, but I think it's at least important to think about um, because you can kind of think about this uh, with like the the death wizards, right? The College of right. They're not about like death, like necromancy or undead or whatever. It's a similar parallel, right? They're about endings and things like that. And that's a whole nother discussion outside of what we're talking about. But I think it's important to make that distinction because more is, is very specific in this. And the, the thing is, is no matter who you are, um, you know, you're going to end up revering more in the end, right? That's the whole concept. So. So let's let's dig into um, the culture uh, surrounding more and the god of death. Few things. So so he's about see, and I he's is about death, but it's not just that. It's dreams, right? It, it's said that you're closer to the realm of death in your dreams than when awake. And so more is also the god of the dead, but he's also the god of dreams, and more often delivers messages or instructions 
as in the form of dreams. So I think that's an important thing to think about too. And as part of that, it's not just as you're closer to death, as you're sleeping, which you're considered closer to death, you can also have a glimpse of fate, right? And so, um, which kind of comes in with the whole concept of dooming, right? Because more as, as a God of, you know, when your death is understanding dreams. And so it's, it's a bit of a, I don't want to say mystic, but almost similar to that, right? Like a, not a fortune teller, but like where they can sometimes, how, how do you explain it? Maybe not see the future, but they like foretell, foretell sort Mm -hmm. of. Yeah. Yeah. Like the dooming type of way. Right. It is. It's really all about the dooming. Yeah. And doomsayers. The uh, and one thing to note too is one of the provinces, the province of Ostermark, reveres uh, more very very highly. So I found that one interesting too. Who are the who are the worshippers? So besides Ostermark, and that's kind of where more has a special important importance. Uh, for like worshippers, uh, a few wish to attract the god of death's attention. Um, so usually only like people in trouble usually pray to more, right. Uh, you know, the desperate, the brave enough to, you know, maybe they want to pray for dreams, you know, what's going to come like the foretelling of, of what they could possibly go, um, or what's going on. But definitely a lot of those that are kind of like nearing death, you know, I, I'm sure they all of a sudden pick up the religion, right. Nearing, uh, nearing death or constantly yeah. surrounded by death mm. right because the, seekers, the bereaved yeah and you know the concept is during life you don't want to pray to the god of death it's just kind of he's there to guide you when your time has come yeah or when you right. feel yeah. like you're at your least spot or your time may be ending through some tragic event you know just that's your time yeah and i want to point out too that more vehemently is against necromancy abhors it and uh, anti what he is or yes, wants. Yep, yeah. Right. It's, it's a, it's, it's a cruel twisting of what death is supposed to be. And it's said that, you know, if you die in the state of undead without last rights, you might be denied access to the realm of more or something to that effect. So, I mean, it's a, it is a, it is a, so don't think again, right. You think, Oh, death, God of death. They must have skeletons and zombies and stuff. The exact opposite. Their yeah. Their whole job is to make sure that once people die, they stay dead. Mm-hmm. What's one thing? Other thing I thought was neat is that Moore has multiple miracles that are their only purpose is to do just that. <laughs> right? And that is like, as someone's dying, you could cast a miracle to make sure that they can never come back. And I think that's that's really neat and really thematically. Yeah you know, gives you a, a sense for what this God really is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, and a lot of like the holy symbols are similar to that, right? Portals, right? So um, the portal into uh, the realm of the dead, they, they say crossing the, the threshold of the polar portal um, into the, the realm of the dead. Black roses, gardens of more, right? Or graveyards, right? Gardens of more is what they're called in Warhammer. Right. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're beautiful gardens of black roses. So um, and ravens, ravens apparently will also be the um, 
what's the word, like the messengers of more in some instances. And so is a symbol of more as well. And, uh, and so like offerings are kind of similar too with incense and candles, uh, silver coins is another offering. Um, so they're all very, uh, interesting. Like even though the holy symbols, like the portals are built into the architecture. So like all of their temples are built in gardens of more, right? It's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's fascinating when you really think about it. And it's also cool, like, their popular holy books also tie in with the symbols they have, like the Book of Doorways, you know, yeah. their symbol of the portal. Um, their knowledge of the raven, of course, ravens. So it's just, you know, it all ties in. Absolutely. Um, major festivals. I'm really excited to talk about this. So there are two major festivals for more. One, it, I should not say anything that requires it's snatched. Thank you. Hexen Snatch, yeah. Which is yeah, Witching Night. He missed Nuts. So Witching Night and the Day of Mystery are are those two. Um more locally known. <laughs> right. I, I feel like we, we should hire someone that speaks German to join us just to yeah. <laughs> say <these> translation. <laughs> yeah, right. So um Hexen Snack. Um witching night is the night before the new year. And, um, this is a night where, uh, Moore's followers are the only people that dare go out at night. Um, this is the one night of the year where everybody locks themselves into their most secure room in their home. They batten all the hatches down. Um, you know, the, the full moons of Moore's lab and man's lab are out and crazy things happen. Magical is more powerful. It's necromancy and, you know, chaos have more power. Um, and the, I mean, these are the nights where entire villages have disappeared and people that went out, you know, to the barn never returned. And like, that's the kind of stuff like this is, a. but the followers of more have a job to do. They tend to the gardens of more and they're the only ones they have to spend extra special care on this day to make sure that, you know, the dead stay dead, if you will. And um, so this is one of the, like, and you call it, it's a festival, but it's, it's also, it's a very important day to more and Moore's followers, but everybody's locked in their homes. So <laughs> I don't know how much of a festival you would call that, but there you have it. Now, the day of mystery is kind of the opposite. Yeah, essentially, it's um, the day that Moore's Lab is like reaches its perigee, which is when it is closest to Earth. So obviously, we know the, you know, the moon is brings with it a lot of uncertainty and a lot of like unease in a lot of ways. So that being so close to Earth means that there's, you know, in the same way that the witching night has effects on things, uh, the... Uh, Geheimishnacht also does. Yeah. And, and there's uh, but this is, this has more of the festival thing happening during the day and stuff like that too. Um, but they're both very important. Uh, obviously think about the Moore's lib is actually named. It's, it's meant, it means Moore's beloved. And that is the green moon that doesn't have any sort of standard phases that sometimes appears full and big in the sky 
and 10 miles away, it might not even be showing. Like it's it's chaos. It's said that the moon is made of warp stone. And when warp stone falls from the sky, it's coming from Morslib. It's a fascinating concept. Um, and uh, yep. uh, yeah, I think that's uh, even I should I should mention. Um, so our logo for Crimson Tower Studios has a green crescent moon on it, which is a nod to the concept of Morslib. So yep. it's a fun little Easter egg you tossed in there, Lance. It is. Yep. It is. I think I think it's super cool. <laughs> I like it. So let's right. talk about the religion proper, the cult of Moore. Moore, you know, the god of the dead. And as we said earlier with uh, Marmidia and Shalia are actually his daughters. So and there's a funny, I don't know if this is an actual saying that is, you know, with Shalia is, you know, the god of medicine and all that stuff there's a saying where if you date the daughter you'll meet the father which basically <laughs> means if somebody uh, visits the yeah. hospital a lot you're you're going to go meet more yeah that's funny <laughs> i'll have to use that when my daughter comes of age <laughs> oh jeez jeez <laughs> oh peace uh, oh man all right so from a cult perspective more the cult of Moore is part of the grand conclave. Uh, just that's an interesting, they're one of the major ones, right? Interestingly, their seat of power for the cult is not in the empire. It's in Talea. Yeah, I thought that was kind of, I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. It's uh so it's in Talea, Lucini Talea. Um, the head of the cult is known as the Custode del Portal. Yeah. So I, I think that is interesting. And something that's interesting is, um, so like every year or not year, like five years or something, I have to go, maybe it's 10 years, like every temple sends a representative to Talea to like all meet and discuss whatever new rules and things that they have as a cult. Grievances, resolutions, yeah. things that they need to work yep. out wrongs to rights that's every five years yep well so that's the conclave but i'm actually talking about the cult itself every oh, gotcha right so more every temple of more which would be basically every garden more right has multiple priests they'll send one representative all the way to talea to basically touch base with all the rest of the cult because it's they're not they're not very centrally led right they have this one central place but there's not a, a strict hierarchy. I mean, once they go back to their individual temples, there's a very loose power structure that connects them all, all together as a cult. Basically, they're left to their own, I wouldn't say their own devices, but they're basically allowed to kind of do their own rite and rituals in their own way, as long yep. as it's probably still in the same tenants and stuff so it looks like it's every every decade a grand convocation ah. of the priesthood of more is held there right yep. so holy sites um gardens of more right so graveyards right so they will often have like gateways or portals um so you might have even a shrine might be the simple architectural built of a gateway um often built with like one white one black um like i think it's like white marble and black basalt I love that it put in there that the doors to the temples of more are always open. Like that mm -hmm. idea of like ushering in the dead, like, right. You know, except on witching night, I bet you they close them then. <laughs> Could be. I don't know. Everyone's welcome. 
<laughs> Except tonight. Come back tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. That reminds me of one of the miracles I can't wait to talk about. So let's talk about the primary orders. Man, the orders for more are fascinating. Matt, you were talking to me earlier about like the order of the shroud and stuff. Oh, yeah. They're, they are very fascinating. The order of the shroud is really neat. Essentially, they just travel around. Uh, with the sole purpose of finding people that have died that have not had a funeral performed for them and then performing a funeral like right then and there, um, which is super neat. A, a really uh, would make for a, a really fascinating and really interesting uh, story hook, I feel. Yeah. Having that be something that your your players come across. Yeah. Yep. And they they're they're essentially that order is essentially what you think about when you think of more of the undertakers and the people that take care of the dead and bury them and perform last rites and blah, blah, blah. That's really kind of all falling under the order of the shroud. And, uh, it's, it's almost like this is our, uh, our reach out program. <laughs> we, we go town to town looking for your dead. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen any dead around <laughs> just in the old world? I'm sure it's, common yeah, yeah. Just, out, just a mile outside there and then yeah let's go down that road my cousin went for a walk yesterday i heard some wolves i'm sure they're down the road so so sorry actually uh because you were talking about the order of the shroud what i thought was pretty cool was i guess their unofficial templar order the black guard yeah 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 the knights of more now, the reason I like these guys is because when they're on duty and, like, with their black armor and stuff, they have a vow of silence. So it's, like, no talking, nothing. And the reason for this is, you know, it really gives off the atmosphere of, like, um, unsettling nature. Like, they are just strict silence, duty, and everything. And they they guard the uh, graveyards and stuff like that. Like, they're more of the... I wouldn't say like defense of the order, but yeah, like that's what they do. Like it's like, all right, we'll take out the undead, guard the cemeteries and all that. And because they so rarely like it's rumored that they watch graveyard day and night without any sleep, but that's not entirely true. Their what is it, changing of the guard is so discreet that it always assumes that it's the same person watching. That's but, fascinating. And like that. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, they fight to the dead, uh, not to the dead. They fight to the <laughs> death. Yeah. They fight the dead, but they fight to the death, uh, in anything regarding like the graveyard. So like if the, a necromancy tries to raise a bunch of dead in their graveyard, they'll fight to the death. But if they fight the living, they are allowed to fall back on neutral ground and stuff. So That's, like, I thought that was really cool. That is, that is so cool. And um, mm -hmm. I, I can, I can say that it's, it's fascinating thinking about the, uh, the concept of, because uh, the Templars, um, the, the order of the black guard will rarely muster for anything large, but in the vampiric wars they did and stuff. So can you imagine like a, a Templar of Knights all in black armor, all completely silent, charging into um, a completely silent undead army of skeletons, right? Like what, how weird, 
like what kind of scene that that's like a movie scene I want to see uh, a charging knights not making any noise versus skeletons not making any noise other than like the normal scrape or you know whatever it might be yeah that, that would be just very eerie <laughs> very unsettling <laughs> even the thought of that is unsettling right yeah so there's also the order of the augurs which we talked about a little bit earlier these are essentially the doomsayers right so in the empire when you like reach what was it like 10 or 12 you get your dooming and this is what the order the augurs right they they can see into the future and you know get glimpses of the future and so when they do your dooming this is part of them and their connection with more telling you how you're going to die and of course some crazy cryptic way which is absolutely awesome in a terrifying terrible way when you think about it how young children are being told that but it's i mean that's warhammer right <laughs> so yeah <laughs> but here's uh, a bicycle and here's your doing oh geez so yeah there's a there's also the uh so uh in certain circumstances the order of the augurs might be sought out to try to get some sort of understanding of the future or clarity or something and de desperate circumstances so it's 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 fascinating it's like another sect of the priesthood of more mm -hmm. and man there's so much you could do with that in game too it's actually funny because so well yes i know they are two different gods but like in the empire there's uh Ulrich worshipers and sigmar worshipers and like they're always butting heads at each other because you know one people think Ulrich is the true god and Sigmar is actually the true god. Uh, the cult of Moore and the 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 Augurs are actually there is a division split with the cult of Moore, but there's really no bad tensions. Right. Uh, like they're both like I mean yeah. One side, you know, he's the god of the dead, and the other side believes he's the god of dreams and prophecy. But they also, you know, eh, we agree with each other. Like, they're just different aspects. So I liked how they did point that out. Like, oh, there is a division, but nothing ever comes of it. They just, it's still normal day life. Right. Right. And uh, it's really fascinating. Some of the extremists within the cult, um, I don't we don't necessarily have time to go too deep into this, but um, you can find information online and in, in some of the other books and stuff, but where like, there's a section that wants to help people along to their death so that they can come to more quicker. Right. Which is the, the cult of more is like very, very against the sect. Right. And they've tried to put it out and there's just all sorts of crazy interpretations that they can take, which is considered extremist. And like, and if you think about this, like you take any kind of belief system and add extremism to it and could, I mean, honestly think you want to think of some story hooks that are related to Warhammer gods, try to think about, take their, this belief system. Now take it to an extreme and you probably have a story hook there. All right. So let's talk about gameplay. So we we got our book right um for for more on uh you know page 206 there and we're looking at how are we going how is this going to affect my character that's a follower of more you know what do i need to know right yeah you you definitely probably your group and your character probably won't be playing nice and nice with the undead <laughs> no or necromancy 
you, you might rack up some sin points. Yeah. Um, their strictures are <laughs> respect and protect the dead. That's a good one. Yep. Uh, hunt down necromancers and the undead wherever they may gather. Might put you in some tricky situations if you happen to come across something like, like that in your gameplay. Uh, if your GM throws that in. Uh, pay heed to your dreams. Uh, never refuse to conduct a funeral service. <laughs> <laughs> another oddball stuff like hey are you with yeah can you do it right now oh sure i wasn't busy um and yeah. at no time be a party to raising the dead unless allowed by more which that could be an interesting plot too yeah right like yeah. when allowed by more when i read that i'm like when the heck yeah more like, allow this? Uh, <laughs> i have to think that one over like how could that happen right <laughs> No, this is I, I wrote next to um pay heed to your dream G, uh dreams. I wrote GMs with exclamation points. Like, man, if you have somebody with that's a devout follower of more that's one of your players, you you need to throw G, dreams at them every now and then. I'm not saying that you should be dictating their life through dreams, but I'm saying like Give them some crazy dreams that they have to try to interpret. Even if you as a GM don't necessarily have a force your idea what it might mean. I mean, that should be a part of your player's, you know, immersion or role play. Like, man, have a, your follower of more, have a crazy dream where the crow is on a sign, but you can't read the sign. And it's, it's, you know, whatever you can do different things with it and make it some sort of like, I wonder where this will come in. And then you, you could set seeds that you can later grow to fruition, or maybe your player will completely misinterpret and go a different way with it, which would be just as awesome in my opinion. So anyway, there's a lot of interesting stuff that can get thrown into someone's dream yes. and seeing that like yes. materialize and play is really, you know, lends itself to some really neat things. So this is how, so strictures is how you get sin points, right? Not doing these things gets you sin points. Um, so, all right, you got some sin points. You need to do some penance. You need to get rid of them. Um, every time you pray, demons arrive. <laughs> it's time to figure mm -hmm. something out. What are some penances that you can do as a follower of more? Hunting down and killing necromancers, I think is probably one of the, the biggest, considering that is essentially mm -hmm. goes against everything that uh, more stands for. Yep. Destroying the undead, restoring the holy places. Uh, those are all things that are ways to go about making penance. Yeah. I like that one, that last one, finding and restoring a burial place and, or a holy site. Right. Um, what a <laughs> cool way to potentially tease someone. Um, with like, uh, there's like an ancient, like you, you realize, you know, have them figure out there's some, ancient crypt here or whatever that's not been taken care of for centuries and how how is your player going to handle that you know yeah that'd be endeavors galore right there mm -hmm. you basically have to yeah yeah fascinating all right uh and I, but i also like in the penance it also says uh occasionally requires servants of cain to be stopped from fulfilling their dark deeds yeah that was interesting one like stop a killer basically right <laughs> well and it's fascinating because if you read about more and some of the other background places too the like you might think that more is about 
Um, like, oh man, well, I could just commit suicide to get to more quicker if I'm a super devout follower. But no, their belief is is that you have to suffer as much as you should suffer um, before you are deemed maybe not worthy, but ready to come to the realm of Tamora's realm. And so they don't hasten along death. Um, even the concept of a priest of Mora might be walking down a battlefield performing last rites and just stepping over the guy that's still barely alive, not giving him any help or anything, mm -hmm. but just moving on to the next dead guy. And then he'll come back around. He'll be dead eventually. And then I'll perform last rites. Like it's that yeah. kind of mentality. Like, yeah. I'm not the doctor. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm your guide to yeah. the doorway. <laughs> so I feel like this is like, you see the, the priest of more going through the battlefield. It's like you're putting little tags on, on soldiers, red tag, red tag, eh, yellow tag, red. Tag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what is that? Uh, triage. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're triaging. Shalea's behind uh -huh. trying to get to the yellow tags and she replaces it with red. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Oh, because you were saying the priest of Moria would be given the final rites, I can never remember the name, but like in Greek mythology, who's the guy that uh, the boat drives oh, the boat to Hades? Uh, Shannon, Shannon, uh, or that's yeah, not Chiron, because I think he's the for the river Senator. sticks. Is that what you're yeah. talking? About? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so kind of going back to the service of Canaan being stopped, as we said in some legend and stuff like that more and kane are brothers kane actually has like a last right that if they do that over a dead body that they just did not only is that body not able to be resurrected uh for undead it will never know the peace of more's realm oh that sounds terrible for yeah. a follower of more especially mm -hmm. Nice. So, like, I can see that, like, Kane, you know, having them stop Kane. It's like, hey, you're basically having these bodies never know peace, never know an unending death. Right. All right. So we talked about Strixers. We talked about Penance. Um, so we also got Blessings and Miracles. So Blessings are pretty straightforward. Breath, Courage, Fortune, Righteousness, tenacity and wisdom right so just really quick going through these we already talked about breath you don't need to breathe for a certain amount of time courage gives you a bonus to willpower wisdom gives you a bonus to intelligence fortune allows you to re-roll your next test righteousness we talked about earlier too that's how you get your magic your weapon to turn magical and tenacity is a really good one i think um it allows you to remove a condition so yep, use a prayer helpful. test to remove a condition yeah bleeding and all that stuff prone <laughs> right right exactly How, or poison even like there's a lot oh, yeah of, yeah there's a lot that could be super useful blind yep. all kinds of yep yeah <laughs> yeah so then in miracles so miracles i'll just read them off real quick and we can talk a little bit more about them but death mask destroy undead dooming which we already talked about a little bit where you can give someone their, their dooming essentially and allows that person to access to you get the doom talent if they don't already have it um last rites portals threshold and stays stay more's stay more's hand which i think is the most fascinating out of all of them so yeah what, what do you guys stay, think stay more's hand is a really neat one well that one and last rites i mentioned a little bit ago that like those two 
really kind of relate to the same thing. And that is just safe passage either as you're dying or if, uh, you know, after, you know, after you've come across a corpse, essentially you can make sure that they, they make it where they need to go. Yeah. Well, I think the most fascinating part about the stays more hand is you can essentially keep them alive long enough for you to do something. Right. So like, this is the concept of you have seven bleeding conditions. You're unconscious. We're all fighting a battle. We don't have time to try to heal you before you f have to spend a fate point, or maybe you don't have any fate points left, or maybe it's an NPC that's almost dead or is dying and you don't have, like you can do this blessing and it essentially, it, I almost think of it as like stasis. It keeps them from dying until they are either healed or you perform last rites. Like, that's so yep. cool. Like, think about all the interesting role play situations that could generate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I can think of circumstances that we've had in our actual play where that, like, would have been nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Maybe Hag would still be alive. I was about to say, hi. <laughs> I mean, if he would have been kept alive being squeezed through bars, I don't know if that would have been. <laughs> to be fair, right. he'd be unconscious. So <laughs> just how many bandages would it take to. Okay, never mind. We need we need a priest of together in, in, that, in yep. that case. So. Sewing needle and thread. Oh, God. <laughs> so, um, so there are a couple miracles that are very like undead right you have destroy undead is obviously it's attack against undead portals threshold is super cool you basically draw a line in the sign uh, in in the sand or an imaginary line and undead can't pass it um well undead or unstable if they have both undead and unstable they can't pass it and if they have just one of them then they have to pass a certain test to pass it so it's like a magical barrier against undead is essentially what it is which is really cool hmm. And That's then last cool. last rites, as Matt already mentioned. Did you mention Matt? Maybe I missed it. Like if you perform last rites on like an undead or construct, it destroys them. So right. right. So like think about this. A vampire. How do you kill a vampire? A priest of more. I was about to say a priest of more is powerful if you're against the undead. Uh -huh. Just having one in the background with even any of these miracles is just like a hammer drops. Bam. Yup. You're not lying. Oh man. I, I, there's, and I, I, this is just like when we do our career episodes, we always like at the end, talk about how, Oh, this is so cool. I I'd love to play this career at now. You know, I've opened my eyes to how it would be to, to play or build this character. I feel that way about these gods that like, even just knowing more looking into even what, you know, outside of the core book, some of the stuff about the orders for more and the worshipers and the festivals and, you know, in this case too, like the, um, miracles, penance and the strictures, miracles, oh. all of it that yeah. I can see so many really interesting and really fun ways to have this play out in game that I would, if I rolled up a priest right now, more would absolutely be super high in the consideration for what God I'd be worshiping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And well, let's take that question further. Right. So, I mean, all the coolness, we've talked about it all. We've talked about how it works. Um, what are some ways that a GM or a player might tweak their game if if you have this? So, like, from a GM's point of view, if you have a player that is a priest of more or, or something, how, how do you tweak your game to, you know, 
encapsulate that, focus on that, or or make that more interesting? What what kind of options or maybe even issues might that cause for you? So one that I'd I'd considered right away would be you'd have to like introduce that opportunity for your players to like come across, like throw random corpses their way. Right. Yep. Put them in a situation where like you have to take time right now to perform a funeral service for this, you know, whoever, whatever, but that like seems like a, a no brainer way to really make this God connect with a player. And that's what I was going to say too, that you need more death. No pun intended. Now, Steve, Steve, you can't say no pun intended if you clearly (laughs) intended the pun. (laughs) No, but that's the thing, because I think about, right, you come across the battlefield, right? Well, we're going to spend some time checking the bodies. No, crap. We have the Priest of Moore with us. We're going to be here for a while, guys. Yeah. Think Mm -hmm. about some of those huge battlefields we've come across. Like. That would not be a short amount of time. Like you had to go through and bury all these folks. You bury, perform last rites. Yeah. 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 Yup. That, that'd be crazy. Um, I think uh, I mentioned this earlier, but don't let that player not experience a few dreams. I'm not saying you have to like do anything meaningful with them, but have it add a tiny bit to their story, tiny bit to their character, you know, even a hint of what might be to come every now and then might make that player really feel like their investment into this character of more is, was beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like a hazy hint. Yeah. Yup. Exactly. Give them something that gives a vague hint and, and don't be afraid to be vague with it. I mean, you'd be super vague and they don't know what it means, but eventually they go, Oh, I see how that could go in. Or you never know. It might be something where someone clicks and they'd be like, Oh, the dream. This is what it meant, you know? And yeah, right. Yeah. I think that could be really cool for the player. What about from the player's point of view? Um, you, you're playing this. How do you, how do you think it can, what can you do to add to your game? Uh, personally, and I'm just going to throw this out. I really think you should, if you're going to do any of these religions and, and going to be a priest for it or something like that, get, try to, it's like, I would say with magic, right? Your players need to understand their magic. Your, your players need to understand their God and the strictures and all of that. Like, um, and, and not from a standpoint of like, you must play your character this way, but you have to understand it so you can play to it or you can purposefully play against it. What about a, a follower of more that believes, um, you know, using the undead to kill the undead is the right way to go. Like that could be a fascinating character concept with lots and lots of sin points, but it would be, yeah, <laughs> you know, but like, you know, but make that decision on purpose because you know what you're getting into. Um, and, you know, when the GM puts a body in front of you, like that is an opportunity for you to do something. And, you know, I, I think that's part of, you know, looking at, I, I will say this. So like uh, one of the players for, um, Garblag games, they do, uh, Flint and steel, Flint and steel. Um, they, uh, they, they have a priest of more and uh, I actually think they have a priest of more and a priest of Sigmar, which is fascinating. Um, but the priest <laughs> of more is always going around doing last rites. Um, you know, right before, uh, 
her, uh, her character dives into the battle. Um, so uh, interesting enough, Matt, uh, a blessing of righteousness is often a go-to. Uh, oh, of course. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah. So I just think that's that's good um, and fun. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for role-playing with this um, into the world. Oh, for sure. And think about Warhammer. When you see death is a part of it, skulls and skull motif to everybody reveres more in the fact that death is part of it so when you see the artwork of warhammer like it's uh, some people it's like oh it's warhammer it was created 80 skulls everywhere yeah that's it and it's mostly because of more <laughs> so and uh, lance you brought up a good point where you know, you you're priest of more, but you don't have to exactly go by exactly what they're showing here. Like you could be kind of like you know to play to your character, of course, with your GM permission. But you create a a a, a priest of more, but is more of like in a separate little order within the cult of more exactly. that actually actively hunts necromancers mm-hmm. and travels for rumors and team up with witch hunters or mercenaries that they pay, you know, to help that priest of more. Right. Oh yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Or let's say you're rolling up a uh, warrior priest, right. And, and you want to do more. Well, the black guard seems like a perfect fit for that. Right. Yeah. How cool yeah. is a character that you are completely silent when you go into battle and, you know, different pieces of that. Like I could see, I, I mean, it, <laughs> there's just so much, coolness with more i i think i want more man i want more <laughs> oh. Feed me. all right Boy. gentlemen final thoughts i think it's cool man like steve i want more <laughs> i would definitely be a priest of more came around to you know like if i had to choose a priesthood i could easily see myself being in the the, the mm-hmm. cult of more yeah yeah I'm going to say, like it says in the rule book, in the midnight hour, she cries more, more, more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, All right, guys. That's the end of our show tonight. Um, Thank you so much for uh, listening to our terrible puns. Um, If you want more, be sure to listen to our next episode. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, we have more coming up. (laughs) that one was not on purpose i promise um for sure we're going to be talking about the death and the right companion we are excited to get into that trust me so excited um that's coming soon as soon as we can get everything there are several pieces that we have to put together for that episode for us to to really want to get it done right so but it is coming um because we're excited to talk about it there's a lot of coolness in there and we want trust me we are foaming to not just talk about it, to play with it, to get get that yes, stuff on yep. the table. Um, yep. We have also got got guests lined up that we're excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll we'll let you know more about that as the time gets closer. Yep. yep. We'll also be letting you know about the virtual tabletops and kind of our experience in the future as we go through it. Absolutely, and uh, and, and expect- that's in addition to our uh, normal career episodes and future uh, religion episodes. Which after this one, I'm very excited to dig more into those. <laughs> oh man and i know uh the lord of the underdeep will definitely be joining us so thank you again nolan for joining us for the show yes thank you um Always man, it's, it is you are so it's so it is such a pleasure to talk to you about this stuff because 
I just I never I never worry is is uh is the Lord of the Underdeep gonna be excited about this topic? The answer is <laughs> always yes. So <laughs> So intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing, you know, a couple dollars a month can help support us and you can get some cool rewards too. Um, or if you're inclined, we definitely have uh, go to oldworldpodcast.com slash store and we have different merchandise. Uh, I, I've, my favorite is probably the Stein, the beer Stein with Old World Podcast. Gotta be the Stein. It. Yeah, gotta it be the Stein. Cool. Yeah, I love the Stein. Um, I, I more, I think we added uh, some more Stein. I think we have the. Uh, Morstein? Yeah. He's got a skull on it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we have a logo, though, of our... Uh, so we have our vault, lo- vault logo, which that is like this nice, dwarf-looking yeah. thing, and I think we have that on one of the Steins, too. So, yeah, um, yeah definitely uh, check that out as well. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more <laughs> Warhammer fans. Nice. Oh my goodness. This is Lance saying goodnight. And don't annoy me, or you may suffer as I suffer. This is Matt saying goodnight, and as more would say, sweet dreams. This is Steve saying goodnight, and just asking if you want more out of life in the end, consider joining the cult of more. They'll be with you till the end, and then some. <laughs> and this is Nolan saying, may the ravens alight upon you. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.